All right, if you're just joining us the first time today, we're in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 10, and we have a lot to get to today. If you're new to the Bible, then uh, you may not know what the book of Acts is all about. I'll tell you a brief summary. Um, the book of Acts is basically the story of the church. The Gospels are the story of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts is just after the Gospels in the New Testament. And they basically detail the story of the church, basically what happened after Jesus ascended. And we see in the book of Acts, this the spread, the quick spread of the gospel. Now, what you might not know is that from Acts chapter 1 to chapter 10, uh, it seems like a short time frame, but it's really about 10 years. About 10 years of time has passed from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10. So we're in Acts chapter 10 today. And today we're going to look at a really important story. I think possibly the most important story in the entire book of Acts because it shows us how the gospel goes from the Jews to the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, most of you are one. All right? That means you're non-Jew. Uh, it means you were not raised as an ethnic or religious Jew at that time, of course. And, and so um, anyone who was considered outside of that nation or ethnicity was considered Gentile. And so that would be pretty much all of us. So uh, this is basically showing how the gospel goes from the Jews to the Gentiles. And essentially, if this story had not happened in history, then you and I may not be sitting here today talking about Jesus. So it's a really, really important story. I'm going to go really quickly because um, I want to get you guys to your discussion groups. Um, but I will cover a lot of information, so bear with me. So look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. And we'll go kind of verse by verse in some of the sections and summarize other sections as well. But Acts chapter 10, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, now Cornelius, he is a centurion. That means he is someone who led a hundred soldiers in his, whatever they call it, platoon, brigade, whatever word you want to use. That means he was rich. He was paid up to five times that of a common soldier. This means that he had social status, he had wealth, people knew who this guy was, he had positions of authority in that society. He was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. Now, what we're going to see in the story is that when God saves someone like Cornelius, someone that has lots of influence, he's going to use his influence to spread the gospel. He's going to use the position God has given him to spread the gospel among his family members and his friends. This is exactly what God calls us to as Christians. Whatever position you find yourself in, if you're captain of the soccer team, if you're a football player, if you're a cheerleader, if you do dance, whatever you do, whatever, whatever position God puts you in, you need to be a, a person that sees your position as a place of possible influence and that you can possibly lead people to Christ from your position. Not that you're someone who says, hey, look at me, look at my position, but in humility, in your position God has blessed you with, Use that position as a place of influence to further the gospel. This is exactly what Cornelius did, as you'll see in this story. Now, uh, verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This was a guy who was religious, but he wasn't quite saved yet. He was someone who gave to the poor. He prayed to the God of Israel, but he wasn't quite saved until later on in this story, just like some of you guys here this morning. You might be religious, you might do lots of good things, um, but you may not have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ 
just yet, just like Cornelius. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I guess that would be an address. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So this angel shows up, knows Cornelius' name, says, Cornelius, Cornelius says, what? And the guy says, send for this guy named Peter. Remember Peter the Apostle? If you touch his back. Send for Peter and bring him to your house. So this is what Cornelius does. He sends for this guy named Peter. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So Cornelius' men are on the way to find Peter. Meanwhile, Peter goes up on the roof to pray. Now you might think, why is he on the roof to pray? I mean, you guys go on the roof to get a tan probably, but he goes up to pray because here's why. Their roofs are often flat. And it was a place of privacy. There was often stairs that went up to the top of the house. And they would often go up there to spend time with God in prayer several times a day to avoid all distractions. That's why Peter's on the roof, uh, praying to God. Verse 10. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, has this happened to you guys before while you're trying to pray? You're, you're trying to pray and... All you can think about is a twinkle. Like, all you can think about is food. All you can think about, have you noticed this? Whenever you try to do something, read your Bible, pray, you just get hungry. Have you noticed that? This happens a lot. It happens to me all the time. This is why we give you guys Captain Crunch and whatever else we give you in here to make sure that both needs are being met, okay? Your spiritual food and your physical food together so you don't have any distractions. Um, although, I guess... Captain Crunch can be kind of distracting sometimes. So he becomes hungry. Um, it says he then falls into a trance. Not sure what that means, but you get the idea. And look at verses 11 through 13. It says, He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. This is a weird passage, I apologize. Verse 13. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. That's a good order to go with. You kill first, then you eat, right? You don't want to, like, eat first, then kill. you got to go in the order of kill first, then eat. That's what Peter's being told to do here. Now, this is a strange, strange picture, isn't it? Um, but this is really, really important. God is about to change everything for the Jews. Right here in this little story, God's changing everything for the Jews. So, so bear with me as I describe to you kind of what's happening here. Um, if you ever get bored and want to read a very interesting part of the Old Testament, go to Leviticus and read the whole book of Leviticus. It's very interesting on what the Jews could and could not do. Could and could not do. But especially Leviticus chapter 11 talks about food laws for the Jews. I'll explain what this means and why this is a big deal to Peter. God gave the Jews what's called dietary laws or regulations. Now, what that means is that certain foods were clean, 
certain foods are unclean to the Jewish people. Now here's what that meant. They were allowed to eat animals that had a split hoof and also chewed their cud. Now, this might sound weird, I know, but um, basically an animal chewing its cud meant that the animal regurgitates food like a cow does. You guys know the cow has four stomachs, you guys are aware of that. Uh, they regurgitate their food, and they chew it some more, and they swallow it again. Regurgitate again, they chew it some more, swallow it again. So any, any, any animal that does this kind of thing is one that chews its cud. And so it had to have that qualification, but also had the qualification of having a split hook. So they couldn't eat horses, which I know is a bummer to the Jews, but they couldn't eat horses because they had a closed hook. Now you might ask, why in the world do those two things matter? Just those two qualifications. No one really knows why God chose those two things, but that's what God chose for whatever reason, to say these animals are clean, these animals are unclean. So in the category of unclean animals, this meant that they could, they could not, let me tell what they could eat first. They could eat sheep, they could eat goats, they could eat cows, but not a horse. They were not allowed to eat animals that don't chew their cud or they have a closed hoof. Um, now that meant that they, uh, they could not eat pig. Can, can you guys imagine life with no bacon? I mean, think about that. Like, instead of waking up to sizzling bacon, bacon you wake up to like just dry toast or something like that. But no bacon. Can you imagine life with, that's just a, that's a crying shame. No, life with no bacon, are you serious? But they could not eat bacon if you were considered that you were a Jew. No pork, that means, that means no pulled pork barbecue. That means no, no shrimp scampi. They couldn't eat certain kinds of fish as well. They, um, that also means they could not eat camels. They couldn't eat rabbits. And Leviticus 11 says they couldn't eat rock badgers. I mean, there's nothing like a good occasional rock badger barbecue, right? But they could not eat rock badgers if you were a Jew. They were allowed to eat fish, but certain kinds of fish. The fish had to have fins or scales, but they could not eat shrimp or shellfish. So much of what you and I like to eat, they could not eat as a Jew because it was considered unclean. Now I'll tell you why God did all this. God did this. To set Israel apart as a nation. God did this to set Israel apart as a nation from the rest of the Gentiles. I won't go into everything today as to what he did and why he did. That's the big picture idea. God did this to set Israel apart as a nation. To set them apart as distinct from the rest of the world. There are two kinds of law as it relates to this story. If you go to the next slide there, it'll show uh, the moral law does not change with Christ. Okay? The moral law stays the same. So in the Old Testament, you have law, you have all kinds of laws. You've got ceremonial laws, you've got moral laws. You've got dietary laws, but you also have moral laws that basically say things like, okay, thou shalt not kill, you can't commit adultery. Those are the laws that stay intact even after Christ came because those laws derive out of God's character. Now, other laws that, that I'm talking about, like dietary laws and so on, those laws change with Christ. When Christ came, those laws ended. Now, also sacrificial system, the priestly customs and so on, those things pointed to Christ. So when Christ came and fulfilled those things, he became the great high priest. He became the, the final sacrifice. 
Hebrews is really clear on this. So when, so when God, when Christ fulfilled those things, those, those laws ended, but the moral law continued on. This is why it's not okay for you today to kill people. You can't commit murder. You can't commit adultery. You still can't covet. So those laws stay intact. But the dietary laws, those change with Christ. And we'll see how this plays out in the story. Go back to the, uh, the verse, the last verse slide there at the back, where it shows verse uh, 13. So Peter's in a trance. He sees a sheet, listen to this. He sees a sheet drop out of heaven, filled with clean and unclean animals, which, in my opinion, is a great thing for a man to see. A truckload of meat and a hammer. I mean, it's like the perfect combination, right? And so he sees these two combinations of, of animals come down together. And what we're going to see is this voice says to, to Peter, he says, get up here, kill and eat. To which all the meat eaters said a loud amen. Because this meant they could eat all kinds of meat, not just the ones that were considered clean if they were a Jew. Now, uh, my wife, if you know her, uh, she actually used to be a vegetarian, believe it or not, before she met me. And, uh, and I'll tell the story just quickly. It's very intriguing how it relates to this passage. This passage is not about, you know, being a vegetarian or not being a vegetarian. This is about the Jews going from clean to clean animals to unclean animals. That's a whole different deal. But this, this verse was used in my wife's life. To quote, set her free from being a vegetarian, she says. I'll tell you how this happened. She uh, was a vegetarian for a good part of her teenage years, and she describes it as um, it's not that she had a religious conviction against eating meat, it was just that she loves animals. And she can't stand the thought of them being in pain. And I'm like, I love animals too, I just love to eat them, you know? So, um, so she loved animals, and she just can't bear the thought of them being in pain, so she would eat meat for the longest time. And uh, she describes it as once she kind of came back to Christ uh, after being away for like four years or so. She came back to Christ and she said that she was reading in her Bible and she read this story of Peter where it says, Peter, get up, get up, kill and eat. She went down to like the local like hamburger shop, got a hamburger, came back home and at the table in the kitchen, she's eating this hamburger for the first time in like four years. Her mom walks in and is like, Whoo! What are you doing? And she's like, God said I could. <laughs> and so I praise God that she misapplied this passage to me that she could be she could now eat meat. I praise God for that. Uh, I'm not sure how it would have worked out if I had met her and she was still a vegetarian. Because I mean, I'm not getting look at you wrong here, right? Love my wife. But whenever you're dating, you're very superficial, very surfacey, right? And just that one thing may have been an ender. I'm not sure about that. It may have been an ender for me. I don't know. But, um, but if, I'm not saying it's wrong to be a vegetarian. But if you are, we'll pray for you. Uh, but look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Here's Peter's response. He says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So, in Peter's response in verse 14, God is saying he can now eat anything clean or unclean. There's no distinction anymore. 
This is what God's saying. God is saying you can now eat honey-baked ham, pulled pork barbecue. You can have shrimp scampi. And Peter's arguing about it. He's saying, no, no. I'm like, what are you arguing about? Like, say yes. This is a good, good thing. So Peter's arguing about it. Now imagine being told your whole life that certain foods are clean and certain foods are unclean. Imagine being taught that certain foods are just, you don't eat those kinds of foods. The thing is, you guys don't need to imagine that because it's true of us. I mean, there are certain things that we just would not ever eat in our culture, right? Like, we don't call things, oh, that is unclean, that is clean. We don't talk that way. But we still have things that we would say, I will never eat that. You guys ever watch the show, Weird Foods, whatever it's called, by that guy on whatever channel it is, Food Network, or Channel? <laughs> like, that guy eats everything. And every time he, he'll put, like, a pig foot in his mouth and be like, oh, this is, tastes like a donut. It's so yummy. It's so good. I'm like, you're crazy. Right? Um... I'll tell this one quick story if I have time. I do have time. Uh, but there are certain things that we see as, as, as unclean in our culture as well. About four years ago, we did a ski trip, uh, Winter Park, Colorado. One of the guys in my room, I want to mention his name. But he, uh, he was anyway. <laughs> but he, we're at this restaurant. It was me, Tim Carwright, and this guy, and a couple other guys. And he goes, hey, what do you guys think about me getting uh, Rocky Mountain oysters? If you don't know what that is, don't ask, just ask someone else later on after the day, okay? Don't ask, don't ask. But he asked and he could, he, I said, you know what it is? He said, yeah, I know what it is. I'm like, you like to put yourself into a dare type situation, I guess? He's like, yeah. So he gets these Rocky Mountain oysters, takes one bite, almost rouse in the table, okay? Now, these were breaded, right? Look like chicken wings, chicken fingers. So... We decide to put the Rocky Mountain oysters in a to-go box, take them to a friend of ours who's also on the ski and say, hey man, he didn't want his chicken fingers. Do you want his chicken fingers? And this is what happened, seriously, true story. This other guy is like sitting there eating the whole box, just like down it, okay? <laughs> Putting in ranch sauce, just eating the whole thing. And, uh, and he, he's done, he's like, these are so good, these are the best chicken fingers I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> And we're sitting there just going. <laughs> so he's finished, and we just let this, this, this crazy laughter. And he's like, what? What? And we told him what it was. And he goes in the bathroom. I don't know what happened after that. But he, he was so mad at us. But there are certain things in our culture that you just would not ever eat. You see them as unclean. Okay? So imagine growing up like Peter. And there are certain that's things so that you just you don't touch, but that's just unclean food. <laughs> now Jesus is saying, so now you Christ is saying oysters you can eat this. This is now considered clean. Okay? Now imagine how difficult this would be for Peter. The question is, why is God changing all of this? What what is the big deal about clean food versus unclean food? Here's what I want you to get from this whole passage. Peter's vision is not just about food. And it's not just about unclean food versus clean food. Peter's vision is about people, not just food. This is a message from God saying to Peter that the Gentiles, the people that you have seen as unclean, need to see them as accepted. See them as, y'all, as one under Christ. 
the gospel is going to go out to not just the Jew, but to the Gentile. Because a Jewish person would not even share a meal with a Gentile person. They, they consider them unclean as a, as, as a people. So it wasn't just about food, it was about people. And so this vision is getting Peter ready to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. Someone that he would absolutely hate before he came to Christ. To show him that Christ is for everyone. Because God wanted nothing to hinder the Jews and the Gentiles coming together under the roof of Jesus Christ. And, and so here's the reality. Whether you are a Jew or Gentile, whether you are considered clean or unclean, everyone needs Jesus. Even someone who, who's a Jew who followed all the customs and the laws and the dietary, dietary laws, even someone who followed all of those laws, that person still needs Jesus. So for someone who's a Jew, they need Jesus. For someone who's a Gentile, they still need Jesus. The law was kind of like a setup for Jesus. It was like a big setup to show you that even when you follow all of these things, guess what? The law shows you how much of a sinner you really are. When you try to follow it, you realize you can't. And so Jesus shows up, follows the law perfectly, and when you put your faith in Him, put your trust in Him, you're putting your faith not just in His death and resurrection, but also in the life that He lived that was perfect, the one that you could not live. And His righteousness is now applied to you as a Christian. And God sees you as perfect in the same way that His Son, Jesus Christ, is perfect. So this is a profound picture here of what God is trying to do. Those considered unclean can be made clean in Christ. This is the big idea. This is what Christ does for you guys in your life. Christ makes you clean when you come to Him in faith and trust in Him. Later on in the passage, we see that Cornelius' men, they show up to Peter's house. They tell Peter their mission. Next day, Peter leaves with them. Look at verse 23. It says, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met them and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. This is the funny part of the story. So Cornelius falls at Peter's feet, and, and, Peter, and Peter says, stand up. I'm just a man. I'm not God. Which is probably what you guys should say next time someone falls at your feet. But just, Peter says, I'm just a man. The verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now watch this, this is really funny. Verse 28, 29. Peter says, okay, he walks in a room full of bunch of Gentiles. And he goes, okay, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew like me to associate or visit a Gentile, which is all of you people right here. But God has shown me 
that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Right? This would be like you said to someone, um, God told me that I shouldn't call you ugly, but, so I'm not going to do that. And you're like, I think you just did. You already called me that. So, so Peter's basically, you can tell he's a little bit begrudging right here. Like he's not quite sure about this whole thing about the Gentiles. And in a way, he almost offends them as he shows up to them. But of course, Christ is gracious, and they still turn to Christ in salvation. So what happens after this part of the story, Cornelius recounts the angel visit, tells Peter what happened. Uh, he sends for Peter. He tells Peter, that's why I sent for you. In verse 34, here's what Peter says. I'll summarize his sermon here. Verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Then Peter goes on to explain the gospel. He explains that Jesus Christ was killed and crucified. He was resurrected. And that when you put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. At this point in the story, the Holy Spirit comes in, interrupts Peter's sermon in verse 44 and 45, where we conclude the passage. Here's what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers and the Jews who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. We're going to do some discussion now. So what I want you to do is uh, we're going to, don't move just yet, we're going to um, designate this area here for freshman girls, that couch area over there. We're going to have... Get over there. You can do the young people over here for the freshman girls. Um, and we'll use freshman guys over here at this side, the couch is over there, and pull some chairs over if you need to. And then we'll do sophomore, where's the main concentration of sophomore girls? For sophomore girl, raise your hand. Girl is the place to All right, we'll do sophomore girls at the table back there, the back table. And we'll do uh, sophomore guys right up here at this table. And we'll do upperclassmen girls here at this table, upperclassmen guys. We need that area. Over here at this table over here. All right? So wherever you are, move to those tables. If you're a discussion lead, you know where to go. And uh, make sure you guys are dismissing your groups by 12.10, 12.15 at the latest. So keep an eye on the time.